Future Hacker Life Path Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today we are talking to Shinta Denuardoyo, also known as Shinta Bubu. Okay, so I'm taking a big breath here because her introduction is really long. And believe me, I did my best to summarize that. But Shinta is just too amazing for me to, to take out too much. Right, Shinta? So let's do this. <laughs> Shinta is a tech industry veteran from Indonesia. She has been recognized by Globe Asia as one of the 99 most powerful women and also named as the Inspiring Women Honor Row by Forbes Indonesia Magazine. Shinta has worked tirelessly to advance technology in the region since founding Bubu.com and serving as the company CEO, a position she still holds. Previously, she was the CEO of Plaza.com, a telecom Indonesia-owned e-commerce marketplace. She was one of the managing partners at Nusantara Ventures, a pioneering technology venture capital fund in Indonesia aimed at helping entrepreneurs create and grow market-leading digital media companies throughout the region. Shinta co-founded Silicon Valley Asia Technology Alliance, initiated Angel EQ Network, and spearheaded a successful esports tournament called Bubu Esports Tournament, which featured both men and women mobile tournament. She launched a venture called StartupIndonesia.co, and is currently the head of Permanent Committee for Research and Technology in Digital Sector at Chamber of Commerce and Industry of Indonesia. She has also recently been appointed as one of the founding members Asia Gender Network powered by Asia Venture Philanthropy Network and supported by Bill Gates and Melinda Gates Foundation. And besides all of that, somehow she found some time to talk to us. <laughs> of course, Thank you. And it's pretty late there. Uh, thank you so much. I couldn't thank you enough. It's so great to have you with us today. How are you doing? Thank you. It's an honor to be here at your show. So, yes, it's it's almost 9 p.m. right now in Jakarta, Indonesia. And she got a really busy day behind her today. So, you know, really, I appreciate. So let's do this. Shinta, I think it's the first time that I'm, I'm covering a little more in depth the, the Indonesian region. And according to this World Bank report, Indonesia is one of the fastest growing digital economies in Southeast Asia. But, you know, like most of the countries, the challenge is making it accessible and equal to everyone, right? You know, like at least most in the developing countries, but, uh, you know, anywhere, right? So it's the first time we cover your market. So it would be great to begin by understanding both opportunities and challenges in Indonesia. Yeah, so, yes, thank you. Indonesia is quite unique. We're the biggest country in terms of population and also in the country itself in Southeast Asia. We have about 260, I think it's already 270 million in population and we're the fourth largest most populous country in the world the interesting part is out of that 270 million people half of it is below 30 years old so we're such a very young country and that's that's the reason why digital economy is moving because when you have a very young population there tend to be born as a internet 
savvy <laughs> babies, you know, everybody like, you know, when you're like two years old, you're already like playing with your phone and stuff like that. So I think that's one of the reasons why our digital economy is moving quite fast here. With that said, I mean, there's still a lot of challenges within the country, even though we're we're such a big country, but again, infrastructure is not all in place. So when we talk about infrastructure, it's mostly on the internet infrastructure. I think our internet connection is not really the best yet and it's quite expensive. But for some reason, we're always popping the charts to be like the highest viewed YouTube. <laughs> I mean, like it's the same with Brazil, right? I mean, like, yeah, it's very similar user behavior, right? We're at the top of internet time spent and engagement. Yes, I think we're, we're kind of similar in that area, you know. <laughs> and the, the challenges beside infrastructure, of course, the human resource, because when we talk about digital economy, I mean, startup here are growing really fast. I mean, we have, I think now we have about 11 unicorns, I think. If it's, I'm not mistaken, it's eight or 11. It's either one of those numbers. So it, it's quite staggering the growth of the startup here in Indonesia, the digital startup, the tech startup. But again, the human resource, we're lacking programmers, definitely uh, coders who are probably on the more sophisticated you know, we need more people who understand machine learning. We need people who are into big data and all that. So, yeah, that's one of the big challenges. And I think it's a challenge that is not only in Indonesia, but also in the region, in Southeast Asia, at least. Yeah, 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 exactly. So how is it the innovation environment across different industries being worked there? Because, you know, with those challenges and having a a qualified workforce regarding new technologies is also a challenge almost everywhere, but you know, uh, it's, it's more, it's tougher when we're talking about the developing countries like Brazil as well. So currently, which sectors do you see that are benefiting the most from it in your region? Well, you know, when we talk about which sector actually, you know, Let's talk about the, how the digital sadness actually spiked up during the pandemic. Because of the pandemic, there's like multiple factors that boost the adoption of digital in actually in Indonesian businesses, especially the e-commerce, right? Because suddenly people cannot really go out, so they start using e-commerce. And Indonesia is made of SMEs, which is the small, medium enterprises. Within this pandemic era, which is the last two years, the online retail penetration growth increases like 10 to 20 percent. And, you know, that's just staggering number because, you know, we're on a pandemic, but suddenly everybody's online because they have no choice, actually. So when you talk about which sector, of course, when we talk the last two years, it's about health tech, fintech, e-commerce, definitely and then edutech, which is the education, because everybody's studying from home now, from their from their mobile app, from their laptop. So those are probably like one of the rising stars here in Indonesia uh, for the startups, and especially the health tech, of course. And I see a couple of AI-related machine learning-based startup that is helped to solve problems in the city, so the smart cities and all that, yeah. So yeah, there's there's a couple of different industries that are really growing fast during this pandemic in terms of digital. So you know what I like about 
your story is that so now we are talking about everyone that was forced you know to transform due to covid but your story goes way back right so you founded uh, bubble.com you're currently the ceo and it's a great example for me of an innovative startup that has been just reinventing itself and pivoting the business as the market is evolving so before we get into bubble.com you know story I'd love to get a better understanding of like your journey because you're surely not not an example of the you know regular Indonesian girl. You went to tech. You went to being an entrepreneur. You know, I don't know was it the way you were raised or uh, the way you were educated or something that is just within your DNA, like is your family, <laughs> a bunch of entrepreneurs. Or I'd love to know more about you to then you know go through the path of Bubu.com. Well, I'm not sure if it's like. DNA from the family because definitely not from my mom and my dad because my dad was working for Asian Development Bank as a consultant there and my mom is a stay-at-home mom. So my background, actually, I'm an architect by study. My bachelor degree is in interior architecture. So I went, I went to school in the University of Oregon in the U.S. and I was taking architecture has nothing to do with tech. And I hated drawing on the computer because I remembered during my last year of architecture, actually, we had to start using Macintosh, which is back then called Macintosh. <laughs> Now it's called Apple to draw. And, you know, I remember I really hated it. So I, I was not a good friend with the computers at that time. But what happened is, I think after five years of architecture, that's how long the school was, five years. And I kind of like, hmm, now I think I want to learn how to run a business. So I actually asked my dad if I can take my master's degree in business. So my dad was kind of shocked because, you know, I did five years of architecture and suddenly I wanted to take business. So he gave me a challenge like, okay, if you want to go take your MBA, you have to find your own way to pay for the school so at the end of the day um i got into a school that actually has a program where if you work either for a professor or a computer lab then they pay your tuition like like about 70 of your tuition is being paid and then you get a salary every month i actually applied to become the supervisor of the computer lab so was that was that Still in the U.S. or back in Indonesia? That's in the U.S. So I went to another university in Oregon, but it was Portland State University for my master's degree. And so I did got accepted as the supervisor of the computer lab, even though I don't know anything much about computer. I just know how to draw on a Macintosh. But for some reason, that got me to become the supervisor. And so I did, I did learn a lot from my team because my team are mostly IT majored. So I learned a lot from the team that I work with there um, about internet, about how to clean a virus from your PC and stuff like that. So That's how I started the internet journeys, actually, because I work at the computer lab during my master's degree. You know, learning on the go, that's the best way, right? Yeah, so I learned about the World Wide Web, which is the website, basically, because uh, we call it WWW, right, in the beginning. And it was something super amazing, like, when I saw what a website was at that time, like, oh my God, like, what is this? How can I like look at something and then I can literally ask my friend in Indonesia, 
to look at the same thing on the screen. So I think it was like a mind-blowing discovery for me of that media. And I become so fascinated. So I, I taught myself how to create a website at that time. And that was in 95, by the way. <laughs> and so I learned how to, to create a website. So using HTML. And I taught everything by myself on the internet, which is actually, that was the early days of education on the internet. There were very, very few uh, courses about that by then, right? So you're right, right ahead of the curve, yeah. Yeah, but there were like websites who taught you how to create a website. <laughs> so that's how it started. So then I went back home to Indonesia after my MBA. I didn't go straight create a company, but I went to work for a consultant management for about one and a half years. But I remember every time I go home from office, I would like literally go right in front to my computer and start creating website. And I think um, I know that I fell in love with the internet itself. And in the mid of 1996, I decided to create boo-boo.com. Does boo-boo mean anything specific? It's just the name of my dog. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> But the thing is why I picked that name is because I needed something easy to remember and easy to spell because, you know, people don't even know what, you know, .com at that time, right? So I just wanted something that's super easy to spell, B-U-B-U.com, and people won't get it wrong. And, you know, at that time, you can buy literally any domain name because, you know, everything's still available. <laughs> so, yeah. And so let's talk about Boo-Boo. So you've been changing a lot and, and, and creating new business lines, right? Uh, as the market evolves, can we go through that journey? Sure. Um, so we started as a web development company because there was nothing else beside website in the beginning of 96. And then in 2006, we transformed into a digital agency where we're also was one of the first digital agency in Indonesia. So what we did was we helped client to go into digital in terms of marketing and, you know, strategy for their marketing brands and stuff like that in 2006. And then, you know, because suddenly everybody's in that space started changing actually like 200 Uh, 2018, but I decided to claim Bubu as a venture builder in 2019 because we started to go into esports. Mid 2019, we created one of the biggest esport tournament in Indonesia, and we actually did an esport conference. We invited all the big names in the esport industry. We had like the co-founder of Twitch. We had people from gaming company like Capcom. So yeah, we invited like big names in the esport industry, in the gaming industry. Because, you know, I actually learned about esport through a person that, you know, actually this guy came to me, asked me to mentor him. So I asked him, what business are you in? And he goes, gaming. And I was like, I have no idea about gaming. So instead, you know, like, well, I mean, I did mentor him on the business side, but at the end of the day, I, I actually learned from him about esports and gaming. And that's how it started. And because I'm in the, in the agency business and I was like, my God, all the, the people are actually playing games. So, I mean, all my clients should know this. So we have to get into esports because we have about a hundred million gamers in Indonesia. 
you know, if I have clients and they're, you know, their target market is youth and if they're not in the gaming, then it will be my fault. So that's why I have to go into esports because I think Indonesia is one of the upcoming esports market in the world too. So yeah, so that's how it started. And that's one of the of the division that I started, the venture that I started under Bubuk. And then after that, it came to the startup Indonesia.co, which is a platform for startup that helps startup to meet with investor, mentors, and uh, venture capital. And we launched that like the end of 2019, just before COVID. And suddenly, 2020, we had COVID. None of the venture capital were able to find or talk to startups. So they ended up all in our platform. So it was just like good timing, you know. All the startups just went in there as well. And, you know, we curate the startups. And when they're ready to meet the investor, we create like a speed dating and we match them with venture capital. So we were, were working with more than 70 venture capitals at the moment. That's that's amazing. Listen, I have, I, I have so many questions for you. I'm going to ask you one question to end this episode and then we're going to continue on a, on a second one, okay? So as uh, your last comment was about the platform, what, you know, you're super experienced about this, this uh, whole uh, matching game, you know, between startups and the VCs. So which do you find the, the biggest challenges on the startup side to get funding? And this is too broad, but sometimes it's a very cruel market, right? I don't know about Indonesia, but at least in Brazil, it's super hard. Like some funds, you kind of have to be already working to get money. You know, so when, when, when you're in the most needed phase, which is the very beginning, people get really scared and conservative. And I think it depends on the culture, like how daring you are and how risky you are and things like that. Or when you're getting in the beginning, you have the risk of committing your equity too much. And when you grow, you have this big problem of, of not being able to dissolve. So how is this, this environment there? Uh, and is it more friendly or less? And which is the advice that you could give to your uh, Indonesian listeners as, you know, how to prepare for to enter this game? I think it's just similar with, with Brazil. I mean, of course, you know, I always tell the startup as well, if you're not even done with your, at least the MVP of your product, you know, please don't talk to any investors because it's just going to waste their time and waste your time. That's what I usually tell them. The best way to start, you know, looking for funding, if you're talking to an angel investor, even in, an angel investor wouldn't really put their money to the startup unless the startup has traction, probably start monetizing, you know, just because just just so many startups now and then we don't know anymore like who's actually know how to run a company or know how to build a product and you know i was a venture capital turned into an angel investor so i've been there done that you know and so i learned like the best way is like get your team first start you know pilot project find the best way to get tractions and if you can monetize then you know you can start talking with the investors, whether it's angel or the venture capital. Of course, if your angels are your family or your friends who knows you so well, then that, that's fine. You know, you can start with zero and then you talk to your family like, hey, I'm going to start this. But if you don't know this angel investor, but you come to them and then and then you don't have anything except ideas, forget it. Like 
don't waste their time and don't waste your time as well. Because I think, you know, at the end of the day, when we invest or invest, first we, in, we look at the product, but then at the end of the day, who we invest is the team, right? The, the people behind it. So at the end of the day, unless you create a product that is working and have attraction, I think it's going to be very hard, especially here in Indonesia, to find investor because, you know, there's just so many competitors now. There's so many people are creating startups and trying to solve different problems here in the country. So I think the problem, I mean, like we're probably similar with, with Brazil. I mean, it's, it's not easy to just get funding unless you have the right product and you have the right team and you start monetizing, you have tractions, you have proven at least with a pilot project. So my advice to the startup is like, you know, if you have an idea, just do it. I mean, like, don't wait, you know, because some, some of the startup thing, if they have ideas, they can just come to investor and ask, like, can you back me up on this idea? Well, that's not how you do it. Because, like, even I myself have a thousand ideas, but not necessarily able to execute them. So I think the best way is just to execute if you believe in your ideas. And then if it failed, well, that's part of the journey. You just have to get up and redo it again or, you know, do better after that. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, everybody, if you have an idea, let's just do it. Just a great way to end this episode. Stay tuned. We are for sure definitely keeping this conversation going. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Future.